I'm going to repeat what I said before a little bit here, that in a didactic sermon, like this is going to be maybe more than at other times, where I'm going to go afield to try to expand your awareness of your faith by talking about things that pastors don't always talk about, because frankly, they're uncomfortable. Uh, And it's going to challenge us as a Christian body to ask things about ourselves, about our souls a little bit. Um, The danger in that is that, one, you start thinking of Christianity as just a bunch of knowledge. Uh, Two, you start making a ladder for yourself to climb based upon whatever that means and turn it into some sort of legalism, a means by which you test whether or not you think you're a Christian. So when you find that moment, you're like, I just don't know anymore. I don't know if I believe. What's going on? It's just too hard. If you ever have that moment, right? how do you decide God is with you? Is it because I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that, and I did this, and I did that? No, no that's, that's when you lose. That's when you're going to be judged with justice, as we're going to talk about. Uh, as a Christian, in that moment, you remember that God is your God, not you, his creature, first. Like, it goes the other way. He made you. He sustained you. He's saving you. That's his decision, not yours. And that from that perspective, as his slave, uh, which means his son, which means a citizen in the kingdom on a new earth that he is bringing soon, which he has already demonstrated to have full power to do by letting us kill him in the most brutal manner possible and turning it into a blood price to pay for our very resurrections. He's proven himself capable of this. This is fully his doing. And you're here because of that. He's told you that. So as you then look at the question, What about the times I look like someone who doesn't believe? What about the times I'm tempted by unbelief? You ask that question not with uncertainty, but in the certainty that he is going to strengthen your conviction in your belief. This will mean your life will change. This will mean that you are not the exact same person you were when the world is the only one you were listening to. It does not mean you're going to get rich. It doesn't mean you're going to be happy. It means, however, you will find contentment in an age built to sell you happiness where there really is not much to be had. Not much, not much. So, all right, I don't want to lose the good shepherdness of today. He's going to be saying some pretty rough things about bad shepherds. And we're going to start there with the opening of Ezekiel chapter 34. Bad things about bad shepherds. But before we get into that text, let me give a little kind kind of context here. Um, Ezekiel, if you recall, is a priest who is in exile. He is in living in Babylon. Jerusalem has not been utterly destroyed, but has been conquered pretty well by now and has sort of a puppet king who will still try to rebel and get the whole thing destroyed, probably. I mean, we're piecing it together a little bit here. But he's one of those early exiles. So think how Daniel was taken away early. And then later there's the destruction of the temple and everybody else gets taken. And then the 70 years began. Jeremiah prophesies at the end of 70 years they come back. That's kind of Daniel's uh, shtick a little bit. And then it moves into Nehemiah and Ezra as they come back from Babylon. Ezekiel's in the midst of all of this at the start of it. He's young, so I I believe it's potential that he he did come back. I don't remember offhand uh, reading about that. But he has this series of visions publicly, which is to say one day he's, he's sitting there at the park by the waters, by the Chebar Canal, and He's like in a vision that causes him to not move for three days, including to just poop where he is. Uh, it's, it's really a stunning thing. It's really weird, right? 
and then the rest of his life is kind of haunted at times by this initial series of visions. And out of that comes a whole bunch of preaching, a whole bunch of preaching. And the text today then is him preaching to everybody, but mostly to the shepherds of Israel. Until we understand who these shepherds of Israel will were, it will be difficult to apply it to our lives. So in the ancient world, the word shepherd could mean two very different things. It could mean the most despised and useless and worthless people in your neighborhood. In fact, you don't let them in your neighborhood. They sleep outside the wall. You pay them to take care of the sheep and no one buys sheep from them because a shepherd would only sell you a sheep he stole from someone else because they don't own nothing. They're the grime of the earth, the shepherds. From which David is taken and becomes for Israelite language, but also amazingly the ancient world, the other meaning of shepherd is king. The one who shepherds the people. Not, not a pastor like me, a king, like a ruler who is charged with making the lives of the people be lives. And we know from the Bible that humanity is meant to function this way. Democracy is a stopgap measure against selfishness that maybe works backwards and blows up at the end. It's done it before. I don't know. That's a different topic, right, than theology. The theology is that man is built with the fourth commandment in our hearts. We need a father. We need an authority figure over us to comfort us, sustain us, and charge us to go forth. We also need to be sons and children who then see the safety of that and the desire to honor the good the Father has given. So the shepherd as king, particularly let David's throne be that picture, is the image that the ruler among you in any civilization ever is to be, before anything, a father to you. I can imagine that today. I mean, I don't think you can. It just doesn't compute, right? Prisker, your father? I mean, really? Huh? I mean, you'd run, right? Um, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, I, <laughs> I have not looked. Actually, I'm public. I have not looked into his family life, so I don't know. I would not want to look to him for safety right now. Not what I would do. I don't do that. But that's what he's supposed to be. And that's what Joe at the top is supposed to be. That's what Donald was supposed to be. They're all fighting for power is what they're doing. They're not shepherding the people. And that's where, so in Israel of old, the religious shepherding and the civil shepherding went together. They were part of one reality. We have this idea today of the separation of church and state. It's a myth. It's a fib. There are two realities. What you have is you have the authority of the sword. You have the authority of someone comes and says, do it, and if I can make you do it, then you're going to do it. That's a power. And anyone who amasses enough of that to himself is, in fact, charged by God to use it for good. And then God will punish him insofar as he doesn't, including tearing him down. Power of the sword. But then there's also the power of the gospel, the power of the word of God, which some or even you know, pagan poets would say is greater than the sword. The pen is mightier than the sword. Like you've heard that, right? Well, that's the same idea, only now flushed with Jesus' own spirit, which is that the prophetic life of the church, the ability to speak truth no matter what and not have to compel you with a bunch of bludgeonings to be a Christian, well, that that's a whole nother universe that's exploded inside of this one. And the other one keeps bumbling along, boom, 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 boom. And, and the Bible talks about it as being like giant beasts that are at war with each other. Huh? And you can feel that. You can feel your heart shaking under the earth in a sense in that regard. Huh? 
But we are living in a completely different space with this new good shepherd, Jesus, who has entered it, engaged us, bought us, and is going to take us out. Yeah, And we're going to go back and we're going to learn about our present life now by seeing how he speaks about those who were charged in Israel to be faithful shepherds, to be faithful rulers. And we're not going to look at what he says they should do. We're going to look at what he says they haven't done. And then we're going to see what he says he's going to do because of what they haven't done. Who are these shepherds of Israel? The house of Judah, David's line, all the kings in all the books, kings and chronicles, uh, every father who didn't keep the Passover and the Feast of Booths and didn't teach his sons to pray the Psalms. Uh, they are all the false shepherds, right? Because the shepherd is a father, a father before anything. All right, so Ezekiel 34, 1 to 10 comes before our text that we heard read earlier. And it says this about the shepherds. The word of Jesus Christ came to me saying, son of man, that's verse two there, son of man. It's, it's so obvious. You would think, why doesn't everyone just know this? The words Adam in Hebrew, right? Son of Adam. Why don't they translate it that way? Why is it man? Why are other times is it Adam? I don't know. Those are the kinds of questions that are worth asking in your Bible study, you know, as, as you just kind of dig in your own. You can hear though, I mean, son of man, this, you've heard this in church, son of God, son of man, we sing it. But that's not what it originally was in the hearing. It was son of Adam, son of the first created one, an actual person with a story. Right? Can you hear how different that is, how unique and centralized that is, as opposed to man, this big idea, man. Right? All right. So the word said, son of Adam, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them. Right? So here it is. We're going to have a prophecy that is for these rulers of the time. And this can be applied now to every time in Christianity, to any ruler, they should hear this, to every pastor, he should hear this, to every father, he should hear this. As Ephesians and Colossians would teach, if you have any authority in your life over another person, you should hear this. But primarily, who is it about? The elite rulers who would set themselves against God and the false pastors who would see their job not as feeding you, but as feeding themselves. And that's what he's going to say. Thus says the Lord Jesus Christ to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Now in Ezekiel's time, this means the attack on Jerusalem and the sending of these exiles into Babylon, where those who should be gathering them to teach the word, to synagogue, to, to be Jews in exile, were not doing it, not well enough. And those leaders of the people, both priestly and royal, back in Jerusalem, 
had not repented of their apostasy. They continued to worship false gods even after God punished them and gave them another turn. And so the result is this scattering of the people in Babel. Now, this happens in history often. This happens to families. Uh, and the father doesn't fulfill his role. The, the children will scatter generally. Uh, this happens to congregations. When the pastor feeds himself, searches his own mission or identity or will or whatever, uh, and doesn't feed the people, doesn't see you as the ones who are here to be shepherded and fed, but just as a salary, a paycheck, as it were, this will always lead to a slow decline and decay of the church and a using of the church by those who don't really care about Christ's church. I'll talk more about that with the latter section. But also, I think it's really important to see just how much this, this type or this symbol, this echo of history, resonates for us Lutherans very strongly when you consider, well, who the Pope was in the days of Martin Luther. He was the one who was selling forgiveness, like he still is, but at the point of the sword at that point. You know, Luther had a price on his head from the emperor because the Pope asked for it. Kill that guy. Why? Well, he thinks we shouldn't sell forgiveness. That's why. So these words, you know, the, the, the weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed the broken or the sick, brought back what was driven away, sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty have ruled them, so they have scattered. I have run into Roman Catholics who say the problem with Christianity, Protestant Christianity, the reason Rome is right is because we're all scattered and divided. Well, this verse seems to apply the reason we're scattered and divided is because the Pope's a false shepherd. And the sooner we can say that with conviction and realize that's the office of the Antichrist at work in the world right now, because he says he speaks for the whole church and the whole world listens to him. The more we can say, okay, that's just the voice of the Antichrist as the Bible has prophesied it, the better off we're going to be understanding, well, what church is and how we engage with our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters who are Christians in the Antichrist's visible church that's been scattered and fractured because of his selling of forgiveness. It's really on him to repent of it and bring us all back together. He could do it in an instant. He really could. My guess is the one there knows how. He's not going to. He doesn't want to. He's got a better deal with his, his mafia. That's <laughs> a, it's a conspiracy thing, kind of. Kind of. The scattering of the sheep when the shepherd is struck. Jesus also references this before he is taken prisoner. You remember this? Strike the sheep and the shepherd will scatter. It says, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so when he is uh, taken into captivity, everybody flees. Um, this is a reason to pray for your pastor, not just me, uh, but for all pastors in Christ where you find them, but then particularly for me at this place, because the surest way to fracture what's going on here is to strike me in such a way that I would stumble, uh, uh, to take me out. You know? uh, when Pastor Krause uh, went to rest in heaven, uh, the, the fallout at Mount Olive, well, that continues. There's a fracturing that takes place whenever the shepherd is struck. Now, we trust that when God takes out a pastor, takes him to heaven, you know, because it's his time, uh, that this is God's will and it will all be worked for good. It will allow for, well, some scattering probably, but also for a gathering that will begin anew. But while you have a pastor who shouldn't die this week, in theory, um, you know, pray for him, not that he doesn't die so much, but that he remains faithful. I'm going to be in this pulpit for a long time. And I mean, I can get selfish <laughs> pretty easily, right? So, so I need your prayers in this because I want to be the pastor who feeds you, right? I want to be the one who warns you, which is, is also why we're doing this today. But I mean, this, this passage makes me afraid and it should. It should make me tremble a little bit. I don't want to be these guys. 
verse 7, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Jesus Christ. Yes, that's, that's talking to me. As I live, says the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became a food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, verse 9, O shepherds, hear the word of Jesus Christ. Thus says the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice him heaping up the thus says, and here this is, this is for emphasis. This, I mean, it's all the word of God, but this is shouting, basically, right? Saying, listen right now. Behold, I am against the shepherds. I'm going to stop there. There's more, but I'm against the shepherds. What does this mean? It means that when there is somebody who stands up and says, I speak for Jesus, and he doesn't speak for Jesus, he is speaking for the devil himself. And though he know it not, he fights God every breath he takes. And he seeks his own damnation and destruction with his searching for his own, ultimately, ego. Hmm? I am against the shepherds means that just because you set up to do mission, just because you have a Sunday school, and just because you have an outreach, you might actually be fighting God the whole time. And what you think is winning, the success stories that you tell yourself and all the things you do, it might actually be him allowing you just enough more of your ego to destroy you, since you've rejected him already and he has no care for you at this point. You've rejected him. No. Now, again, remember I said today this would be tough. I'm not talking about you right now. I'm talking about false shepherds. Uh, and what you should know about false shepherds, they're rejected. They're rejected. I drove by uh, a church this week. Uh, where was it? Uh, oh, I was, I was up a little north, just kind of on a drive. Found a nice sugar, sugar river forest preserve. Anybody been there? Beautiful. Um, by a church, it said ELCA on one sign. The other side of the sign said PCUSA. How this works is when, when you're really liberal, nobody comes, but you have a lot of money usually. And so you just conglomerate your big mainline bodies into kind of a unified network of, of unionized professional parators of public religious policy. Um, and of course, it was Pastor Lucy. It was, it was Pastor Lucy. So you know this as soon as you see Pastor Lucy. It, it doesn't matter. If she's the most faithful, friendly person you ever met, she ain't faithful. She's rejected. She's rejected. That whole church is rejected. You stay there. You might not be rejected. You might come through that fire. But why would you want to? Why would you want to? That's kind of the thing here, right? He's against that church. He's against the shepherd there because they reject him. Now, we can debate women's ordination another time. I think by now, the sexual revolution has proven its foolishness. It's pretty obvious what's going on. You know, they're, they're drugging the boys now. Have you seen it? Golly. So to see this again and think about how many false shepherds are about this nation right now, preaching in the name of Jesus, lies. Uh, something to be aware of, be afraid of, pray against, and again, pray for me. Be thankful you got one who's at least trying to be faithful. Yeah. All right, so I'm against the shepherds. I'm against the shepherds. Uh, that was verse 10. And I will require my flock at their hand, judgment day. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep. Now here is very specifically Ezekiel saying to Jerusalem, you're done ruling, bye-bye, right? and then full exile happens. 
And then in the restoration of Zerubbabel and all that, the Maccabees, uh, that comes later, but it's the end of that ruling monarchy. So there's that. What it means also for us then is that whenever it gets so bad that the elect would truly fall away, since he's not going to let that happen, he will strike the false shepherd, the false church, the idol, and he'll knock it down, usually by his own hands in some way. Uh, so he, he, he takes away the right of the, of the false pastor eventually, particularly from pastoring the sheep, uh, by causing institutions to collapse, making the world all fall apart. No one knows what's going on, so we're all like listening for truth now, right? And I know the Bible. Look at that. It makes a lot of sense. Where was it before? So he causes them to cease feeding us, and shepherds shall feed themselves no more. That is, they can't take advantage of us anymore. For I, here's the shift into our text, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. Thus says the Lord, verse 11, I myself will search for my sheep. That's the reading we heard earlier. This comes back to what I emphasized before, that the good news of Christianity is that Jesus has decided to save us. Jesus is the Savior. Deliverance is of Jesus Christ. You are saved by grace. This is a gift of faith for you to believe. It'll produce good works in your life. That reality is him guaranteeing to us his kingship. And it, it should be pretty clear just as I read it now that that's what it's saying, right? As a shepherd, verse 12, seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, right? He comes back, he finds that you're missing. So will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. For Ezekiel's time, the exile, they're going to go back to Jerusalem and it really is going to happen. Shoot forward to our time. Jesus is coming back. Resurrection is going to happen. We're just waiting for that right now. But we're going to be restored from a scattering, not just as a congregation or as a family, but as people who want to not be sinners in a sinful world. Verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the country. It's a metaphor. The Lord is your shepherd. He's going to make you sit down beside green pastures. Well, for a sheep, that's good. That's a food, right? Yeehaw. Uh, you don't need to eat the grass. That's not what's going to happen. But that, that metaphor here, that you're going to be in the most beautiful, pastoral, pictured place you could possibly imagine, where everything is what you need and it's all being provided for you. That's the image here that he's promising. I'm going to do this because your rulers, your pastors... Your leaders, your fathers, Adam, was not able to do this. I will feed them in good pasture, verse 14, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down. I'm going to pause here. The distinction between law and gospel is often a matter of the future tense. If I say to you, uh, ah, I don't want to go off and, and make a bad metaphor. Let me say it again. When I say to you in the benediction at the end of the service, not only the Lord bless you and keep you, as it's written, but the Lord will bless you and keep you, instead of what I've heard many pastors say, may the Lord bless you and keep you, I am rightly distinguishing, I think, the distinction between law and gospel for you. I'm giving you gospel. If I say to you, may the Lord bless you, I haven't really told you much. I might pray for you, maybe. I hope God likes you. <laughs> if I tell you, Jesus Christ will bless you, 
And I promised you something. Now, as your pastor, I think I have that right and authority because you've called me and asked me to do that for you so you don't forget. As a congregation, it's a really wonderful thing. Uh, but then to see that this is gospel now, when he says all of these I wills in verse 16, I will seek what was lost. That's you. Now, always, every morning. And bring back what was driven away. Well, that's, that's you. Uh, every morning. Bind up the broken. That's you every morning, right? And strengthen uh, what was sick. That's you. And if you haven't gotten sick yet, you will. You will. Now, the shift here, though, is also something we want to be ready for. So we're working at this from the, the assumption that we all should have of each other, that everyone who comes to church here wants to be a Christian. Everybody who comes to church here wants to remember that Jesus is risen from the dead, that this pays for your sins, and you want to die in this faith even if it's 30 years from now. You don't want anyone to take it from you. And so we're here for that sake. And we're going to build on that assumption. We're going to treat each other like that's what we want until if one of us proves to everyone else we're not a Christian, that we don't care about what's going on, and we only want our own life, and we're going to try to manipulate everybody, well, that's what church discipline is for. I don't think we're going to need that right now. I think we need to be aware that could come in the future, however, because of, well, this text, this text. But the only way to really get that rightly is to remember we're here to assume first everyone here is broken. We're here to assume, assume first everyone here wasn't ready to be here. Not today. You didn't. You got here. You made it. You did it. But no, you weren't ready. No, you're not right. No, it's not okay. We're assuming that's why we're here. And that the blood that is Jesus, the body that is Jesus, given to remind you that he's okay for you, and that actually, yeah, you are okay, you're just discontent, and that he can teach you to see, based on your knowledge that it's all going to burn, and that he's coming again with a better world, and that everyone's living with hate anyway, and love is way better, today is way better than tomorrow, based on all that, he's going to feed you to be alive in the midst of the darkness. The sleepwalking zombies all around you, you'll actually love them and fear them and hate them all at the same time, praying for them. Knowing that such were some of you. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been enlightened, yes? So now, we're going to talk about, though, that amongst this enlightened body, this coming together to a place where we are here for Jesus' words and for his promises, there will be false sheep. Here's the text, and then we're going to jump a bunch, I think. But it says, again, but, the, but I will destroy. After all these saving words, I will, I will, I will. End of verse 16. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in, that's mishpat there, mishpat, we talked about that Wednesday night, feed them in judgment. He's going to say more about this group. We're going to understand why they're fat. And why in the metaphor of being fat, they're bad. Um, it is not that to have a healthy frame or to eat a meal is bad. So don't, don't go anywhere with that. Um, and frankly, you want fat sheep. You want fat sheep. You want to eat fat sheep, but they're better <laughs> than lean sheep. Um, but the problem is, is that there are a few sheep that are very fat. And there are many sheep that are not eating anything at all, right? And it's not just that the shepherds aren't feeding the sheep. It's that amongst the sheep are some that aren't really sheep. They're goats. Now, in this text, it's not going to talk about sheep and goats. Matthew 24, where Jesus picks up the same idea. He will say sheep and goats. Here it's like goats and rams or something, and, and sheep and sheep. And it's a little, little fuzzier. But you'll see very clearly there's two groups. 
and he's going to speak to the group that's here for the wrong reasons. So everything we're going to listen to now is actually spoken to the people who won't listen to it. You as Christians are going to listen to it. You're going to start telling yourself you're those people, probably a little bit. Let yourself be accused by it. Well, your flesh is. So that's healthy. That's actually good to feel a little guilt at that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's such were some of you, right? That's, that's who we are. But speaking to those people and hearing it as an, about us, but then not, will free us to not be deceived by them, to not be tricked by them, and to rely upon the scriptures as our path and our manner for understanding who we are going to be. So, uh, moving into this section then, right, it's going to be harsh. It's going to sound hard. Um, what we want to do is remember that persecutions come. They come from unbelievers. Unbelievers are to be responded to not as they would attack us, but as the, the First Peter 2 chapter said, right, as, as he responded to them, turning the other cheek and all that. So this text is not here to hate. Uh, verse 17, though, going to talk about this group, these fat sheep, right? Uh, verse 17, as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord Jesus Christ, behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture? And to have drunk of the clear waters that you must foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat what you have trampled with your feet, and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. And this makes me think of the story of Hannah that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, the, the mother of Samuel, whose family was not living where they should be living, but was living in the hills because of all the raids from the Philistines that were going on. And then when they even get up to the tabernacle, which is, hasn't come where it's supposed to be, it's way up in Shiloh, uh, you have Eli, whose sons are stealing and just taking advantage of the whole situation. Um, it is that kind of thing. yeah. And to see that that kind of thing is not abnormal in the history of Christianity, that within the visible Christianity that arises wherever Christ is preached truly, Eventually, the good things about that Christianity become desirable to people who don't really believe, who don't really have the Holy Spirit. And they will align with the congregation for the sake of those things. I mean, can I say joining a congregation for the tuition assistance and have it ring a bell, St. Paul? Yeah. You ever have members like that? They come and they go. Tuition's done. Graduate, off they go. They weren't really there for you. They weren't really there for Christ at a certain point. They were there for, for a tax break. Yeah. Knowing that this is going to happen, though, being aware of this allows you as a congregation to, to think about governance against it, uh, to remember what makes you who you are, to remember that what has made us who we are right now is, I mean, all through last year, we didn't stop having the Lord's Supper. And look, here we are with so many other congregations not even opening up again yet. I heard just another story this morning about a number of ELCA congregations over that way. No in-person services. Our friends who've been members there for their entire lives are so frustrated and they never liked the liberal stuff anyway. I said, well, then will you invite them to St. Paul Lutheran Church, please? She said, I should do that. I should do that. Yeah. But that's, that's out there right now, right? What do we have here? A heartbeat. A very strong one. Jesus resurrected heartbeat. But what the warning is again 
is that since we have this here and it gives you the semblance of church, there can be coming some very quickly just to have that experience again. And if they begin to overwhelm us and we don't realize why we're here and continually teach and believe and share with each other why we're here, we'll soon be here for some other reason. And then the cycle all starts again. So I can very much imagine building a cathedral here with a farmer's market and a walking garden and maybe a school for fathers and prayer or something. I don't know. I can imagine it all going really great. I can imagine it lasting 150 years until suddenly each little corner is kind of doing its own thing. It's basically be run by people for the sake of what they get out of it. And it all starts again. Now, Solomon saying this is vanity would teach some, I suppose, to say, why do it? Well, you haven't read the book carefully. You do it because you're going to do what you can do today. And today you need to care about the nearness of tomorrow with the people that you love. And here at St. Paul Lutheran Church, that means praying for this facility to be a place that continues to call people to the word and sacraments of Jesus Christ. And if and when he builds other things around us that are great gifts to us, from us, and for our neighborhood— to continue to tell everybody who comes, yeah, that's all great, but we got the Lord's Supper. You should really be here for that. And the more we do that, the more gifts I think we're going to get. I mean, there's always a time when a world war comes along and changes everything for everybody. But I just think these stories are loud these days. I, I think we're given a lot of it more credit than is due. I think the, the, the fears that we have are overexploded in movies. It's quite possible that a number of things happen. I mean, I forget, I, I do a podcast I'm not going to pitch to you right now, but I talk with another a doctor, uh, one, of, one of the gentlemen at our seminary, about the history of power is the name of the podcast. And uh, uh, I can't remember if it was which South American country it was that went through a civil war in the last like 15 years. Only if you were on the ground, the only thing you noticed was the money wasn't any good anymore and there was harder to get food. But everybody's fine. Nobody's fighting. All the fighting was like legalese and information and monetary policy and assassinations. That's how modern wars happen. That's how our country has been doing business across the world for quite a while, right? Now we're just kind of like, oh, wait, they're doing it themselves now. That's maybe not so good, right? Right? Well, okay, let's pray. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for our rulers and realize that God is against the ones that are against us. And so if he's going to let them tear themselves down over there and they're going to shout about it, it's my job to be like, are they shouting or is it right here? And let me suggest to you, St. Paul, that right here, right here you have something very good. Very, very good. This isn't going to go away anytime soon. It's going to continue to grow in the way that you want it to. But that will bring all this outside stuff. Whatever you decide it is. I can pitch my ideas. It's going to be whatever you guys decide to do. That stuff is the great danger. That will bring the goats. And just to believe it is the way to be prepared. Just to hear these words that I'm going to say and say, I don't want to be that. <laughs> so that's exactly what we need. And we need that every week. Yeah. So, so here it again, is again. Verse 17. Uh, I will judge, jumping in the middle, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. Oh, I, I, sorry, I'm going to skip to 20. I already did that part. Uh, the image of the, them being fat because they're trampling the ground, I hope you picked up on that, right? Uh, the reason that they are false is because everything is about them. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of room to go around. Everybody at St. Paul can be happy at St. Paul unless somebody wants only their way. And then suddenly it creates dissension and confusion, right? And so that's the more that spirit is how we approach things, well, the more we trample the food, which is the word of God that's here for us, yeah? So I hope that image, I think, is very fresh. Uh, verse 20, though, says, Therefore, thus says the Lord Jesus Christ to them, 
Again, this is to the flock, but to the false believers within the flock. Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep. Because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad, therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, Jesus Christ, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, Jesus Christ, have spoken. So he sets himself against the false believer for the sake of the believer in eternity. Huh? That will begin today because eternity is not temporal. Today is not temporal for you. All the stuff that we have to live in is temporal. But today is going to go on forever in the sense of you're never going to leave the present. When you die, you will live. It's just going to change. And some of us will get to have it happen, hoo-hoo, you know, Superman style. I kind of hope for it, honestly. It's fun to imagine. But that is by removing the unbelievers. He saves life by destroying death. And those who desire to keep their selfishness and don't want to be with others and learn, oh, yeah, you're right. I said that it hurt. I will change. Those who don't want that are not in. Huh? Now, what do you do with this? Do you go around trying to decide who's wrong? No, that's the opposite of what you do with this. You just know it's there. And then when you find behavior that's unbecoming a Christian, first thing you do is you pray about it, whether it's yourself or someone else. Dear Jesus, I didn't like the way that happened. How should I respond? And God willing, he'll provide you a chance to talk with that person. And maybe just get to know them, because maybe what they said, you didn't even understand it. And you were somewhere else entirely, and you don't even know what they're dealing with every week. Wow, imagine that. And just like that, you might even have a friend. Assume that we're all believers here until it becomes so cantankerous that, you know, I have to stop you like I stop my children at the game table sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and then that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. I'm to be the one who's supposed to love you. Uh, you're supposed to trust me. I get how that's hard in this world. I, I get that I, very much. Um, but that's why I'm here. And I believe firmly that this word among us is going to make us a people where we do walk together. But we walk together not in ourselves. In the knowledge that all of this promise about establishing one shepherd over them, that that is who Jesus is. That it, we're not waiting for that. That part of Ezekiel was fulfilled the moment Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I take care of the sheep. I lay down my life. Now, God has established one king, one shepherd over us. So to try to you know, put a cap on it today, I'm going to get a little more crazy, I suppose. Um, I've been thinking recently about the story of Alice in Wonderland a lot. I've never read it. I only saw the Disney one. Uh, I, I've also been thinking about Pinocchio because my son is reading it, and I've only seen the Disney one. I, I started to think, man, Disney really changed all the stories, didn't they? That's weird. But Alice in Wonderland, you know, you get all the pieces of weird out of it. You know, she eats the mushroom and falls down the hole, and there's a weird cat that stands on its head and all this stuff. Um, Mad Hatters and all this. I don't know much about what that story is about, but I... I remember kind of feeling like it's a story about confusion. Uh, I also did study Lewis Carroll in college, but not that story. I studied some of his poetry. And he has a poetry called Jabberwocky. Have you ever heard Jabberwocky? Um, it's, it's fun. It's weird. It doesn't make sense on purpose. It's about being confusedly afraid. 
and having to stand against your, your demons, I think, a little bit. But Lewis Carroll's insight, I think, is that what was happening in his day, technological development, the Enlightenment, post-printing press, coming towards electricity, the modern world, that something was off and that it was just going to get madder and madder. And that humor might get you through it, but somehow the humor was going to get darker and darker. As I ponder that and, and just look at the world, it's like, wow, yeah, indeed. What is this place? I mean, I can easily imagine, I can easily imagine this, that electricity is kind of the mark of the beast. You can be saved and use electricity, but that it's been used to destroy most of the world, and the world's going to end like next week because we've all been deceived. But you're repenting right now, and we're here for the Lord's Supper, so you're okay. But a lot of people aren't today. What happens to them, right? So I can, I can see that. I can also see like electricity just being this thing we found and we're using because it's in nature and that's great, but we're not very good with it. And we like blow up society in like 15 years so that all the food stops moving around. We're all still here and we got to figure out how to make it wherever we are. And the world's got a thousand years left to go. I can imagine that world too. I am convinced that you're here at this church because he's going to bring life at this corner. That if we're here a hundred years 200 years, if it isn't ending next week because we're in Alice in Wonderland, end of the world, which I got to acknowledge, it's an option. If we're going to be here in 100 years, 200 years, we're going to be here. This church is going to be here. And he's calling you here right now to be part of that group that buys into that idea. And you're going to see changes as people bring visitors and guests who we have to figure out, do they want this? Do they want something else? What are we offering them? How do we encourage them to come? We want them here, but do we just want them here to have full pews? No, we want them here to be faithful, to live with us and hope. So all of this is ultimately good, and you should walk away from this day knowing that you have the good shepherd on your side, that he's given you the ark to ferry through these days, whether it's this week or 100 years. And I hope you know that you have a shepherd who wants to be a good shepherd in your pulpit. If I have a flaw, it's perfectionism. So it's probably too easy to think I'm good at what I do. Let me tell you, I know full well, every single error I make, I beat myself with it. That's probably why I'm here. It's because I need to hear someone speak these words because I, I need to be forgiven too. So hearing that, you know, believe me, I'm, I'm not here to take advantage of it. Um, I think that there are pastors in our church body, they don't, maybe don't mean to, but they do. Uh, I, I'm here to help us figure out how to walk together with the other pastors who aren't like that and the other congregations who aren't like that. I can tell you our circuit's looking better and better. It really is. We've got good guys coming into our circuit. We've got good people in our circuit. Yeah. So here we are, again, to be a heartbeat, to be faithful together. Pray for me in that, right? What I just said, that, that's where I need your prayers more than anything else. And then uh, let us rejoice, for the supper is before us. The good shepherd descends to meet you and feed you with his own flesh and blood. Let us prepare ourselves finally with prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.